Jesus, today we come to worship you with our hands held high, lifting our praise to the heavens. We worship you with our hands at our sides and our heads bowed in humility before your awesome majesty. We worship you with our hands held out as if we are bearing our cross, trying to keep the faith, trying to put all of our trust in you and the leadership of your spirit, and yet perplexed by our humanity. Some of us are overcome with grief and some of us overcome with physical ailments. Some overcome with cluttered minds. Some of us, all of us are struggling with sin, but some of us struggling so hard against certain sins that have turned into habits that seem impossible to break. Some of us struggling with our human frailty as temptation lurks all around and we find it so difficult to discern and to reject. Lord, as we come into this season that began as a time to celebrate the amazing and incredible events of your birth, and now it has turned into such a thoroughly secular celebration that sometimes we don't know where the world leaves off and the spirit connects. We, we are so hard-pressed, Lord, to come into your spirit at this time of the year and to find you in the midst of all the noise. We thank you for the hymns which so magnificently express the truths of this season. We, we thank you for the scripture. We thank you, Lord, for the messengers. We look at them, we see flawed human individuals, and yet we see and hear signs of your presence. And so we ask, Lord, for the grace to hear your word and to see your love. Oh God, have mercy on us as we think about our needs and our wants, as we bring to you the concerns we have for our loved ones, for ourselves, for our community, for our workplace, our concerns about our nation and the world. And, and Lord, let's just face it, we come to you sometimes worrying ourselves silly over things that you've told us to leave in your hands. And we repent of that, Lord, but we're so weak sometimes. Please help us to be at peace. And Lord, especially this day, we pray for those who grieve during this particular season where so many precious memories are made and then when things change and it seems like it's forever, this season becomes a deep source of pain. 
God grant me the wisdom and the wit to express your understanding and compassion in a few minutes. Thank you, Lord, because we try to speak your words and we try to pray as you would have us pray, and yet we fall short. Thank you, then, that you've given us words from your very mouth that we can say together as we do now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, if you want to get out your Bible, we're going to use it a couple of times. Find, this one's not published, so I'm going to tell this one to you first. Find 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You'll find that in your pew Bible on page 1145. And you mark that one, and then we will read also from the one that's listed in your bulletin, James 5 on page 1202. And as you find those, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians 1, and James 5, as you find those, there's one thing in my notes that I was tempted to say this morning. I, I don't know, have you ever had this? I wake up sometimes and a word is stuck in my head. Has that ever happened to you? Sometimes it's a song or something, but for me it's a word, maybe because I'm a word nerd. The word Dickensian stuck in my head this morning. And it was about a half an hour ago I realized what the word is and why it was in my mind. It's because it's a word that was created in order to express Charles Dickens' view of the world and how he interpreted it in his writing. And then it really dawned on me that there was a phrase I wanted to put in my sermon notes that I left out because I thought it was tasteless. <laughs> and now I want to say it. In Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, there's a character who's not named. He's simply described as a fat man. So it's not as tasteless as you thought it would be. And the fat man is with the skinny man who's asking Scrooge for an, a gift to a fund for the poor. And you remember Scrooge's famous response. He said, well, you know, if they're going to die, they should do so and decrease the surplus population. But I remember the line that the fat man says in A Christmas Carol because he says, this is a time when want is keenly felt. I just like the wit of that because, because that's really the essence of what I want to share with you today is everything during this season, especially since Victorians really ramped up Christmas big time. You don't mind if I play the history nut just a little bit. And ever since then, we have such high expectations in this season that we end up experiencing really low lows when there is no way the high expectations can be met. And that's, that's what's been happening with Christmas for so long now is there's this, this, this 
error in judgment about Christmas that's existed in our mindset in the Western world because we've elevated it to such a high status in our expectations that when anything changes that permanently or wrecks it in some way, we feel even worse about it. Want is keenly felt. I want to start with a quote, well, a story that Harry Truman told, and I will... Uh, Apologize now for training, uh, retre retreating his story, because if you know anything about Harry Truman, he would have said this in a much cruder way. The Harry Truman was told about a man who was hit in the head and fell into a deep coma, and after a long time of appearing dead, it was decided that he should be taken to the local mortician for burial. Well, that night, the fellow awakened, laying in his casket, surrounded by flowers and darkness. And he sat up, realized his circumstances, and the first thought he had was, well, if I'm dead, then why, or, or if, I'm, if I'm alive, why am I in this box? And if I'm dead, how come I feel like I need to go to the bathroom? <laughs> now just imagine how Harry Truman would tell that story. Westerners are pretty frivolous and silly about death. We, we've become really sort of, uh, you know, we joke easily about it. We, we take it into our living rooms every day in the form of drama and mystery. You know, I know a lot of people who like those Hallmark Christmas specials. And I have decided that Hallmark Channel is one of the deadliest networks on television because every episode, every, every Hallmark movie, someone had to die in order for the story to take place. It's always some handsome young widower, some beautiful young widow. Somebody's always got to die in order for the story to work. The story arc always deals immediately with a death, and that's why I think Hallmark is a deadly channel. channel. I, I think it's terrible. And it's funny how we just take it for granted. Now, if you, walk, if you watch mystery stories, we like mysteries. I love, you know, the, the whole uh, mystery genre, and we watch a lot of those shows. And, well, it always starts with someone's violent death. And we think nothing of it. It's, it's really kind of remarkable, isn't it? How we so lightheartedly accept death. When we watch the news, and we hear about casualties from an earthquake or some sort of terrorist attack or military action or something like that, what we hear are statistics. And that's how we interpret it. And as I said, I came into this service and this particular message with a certain amount of distraction because if there's one thing that I didn't expect about my job that has become very familiar to a point where it frightens me a little bit is death. I, I deal with it a lot. I see it up close and personal a lot, and I have to maintain a certain uh, state of mind as I serve my role. And I can no longer treat, even when I watch the Hallmark movie or the mystery show, I always have this moment where I want to just like walk away because I'm thinking, you know, this is all very entertaining, but someone died and there are a whole variety of things that happen around death. And of course when it happens close enough to the holidays for us to feel it so acutely, 
it's really hard, you know, because people, people have a tendency to walk up to you and expect you to be cheerful when you really don't feel cheerful. They, they say things like Happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And, and as Nancy Guthrie says, for those who have recently lost a loved one, the holidays can seem more like something to survive than something to enjoy. And when we sing, O Holy Night, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, we ought to remember, she says, that grieving people around us feel the weariness of life and death in a world of wonder, and, and they really don't know how anyone could possibly rejoice right now. These folks are in desperate need at this particular time for Christ to somehow break through and give them some hope and joy when their loneliness and despair is so acute. And here's a word to the wise. It's most painful when they're alone at the quiet times, when there's no one around and there's nothing to do right this minute. And that's when the loneliness just creeps in and really takes hold. If you awaken in the middle of the night, if you find it hard to fall asleep, and you're in that moment when the, when the darkness of your own house and is all around you and the sounds of sleeping people are around you, and like in my house, the cat's purring at the foot of the bed or whatever, that is a moment when you could say a prayer for the one who's sitting in silence, in the quiet, suffering. Keep in mind that when they are crying, when you are crying about this terrible loss, this emptiness that you feel, you are experiencing the something the Lord has built into your system that is essential. Because each time you cry, you're washing the wound again. And it's okay. If you are grieving right now, go ahead and cry. It's perfectly okay. You're never too manly to cry, and you're never too strong a woman to cry. It's difficult. Lord, bless and help whoever they're going to. Read 2 Corinthians now with me, chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. When you who are blessed 
not to be grieving at this particular time of the year when you are courageous enough to enter into that dark room of grief where someone you have been called alongside is sitting. You will make yourself vulnerable in a way that you won't like, which is perhaps why we don't do it. How many times have I witnessed those who care deeply about another who's just lost someone precious and they don't want to speak of it? They're afraid they'll say something stupid. May I say just as an aside that I've heard a lot of people say really dumb things at the funeral home. It's all right. It's really okay. But you know what the best thing you can do is? The very best thing you can do is to make yourself vulnerable and come alongside the person who's grieving and say nothing. Do not speak. Just be present. Do you realize that's the very essence of the incarnation of the Lord? That word meaning that He was made flesh? That one who became like us joined us in our situation. That's the very essence of Christ. And when you do that with someone who's suffering, you're Christ. You're a physical manifestation of the love of Christ to someone who doesn't need words of wisdom as much as they just need your companionship. As much as they just need for you to be there. Guess what? If you are in this church today and you see someone somewhere in the hall and you know they've just been through an awful lot and they're suffering right now, you, you may avoid their gaze because you don't know what to say to them. But here's what I recommend. Just give them a hug or look them in the eye and say, I am praying for you or I will pray for you or... I just want you to know if you can benefit from my presence, I will change my schedule right this minute to accompany you. The Jews had a way of looking at it, and they still do it today in traditional Jewish homes. After someone dies, they do something called sitting Shiva. It means they spend a week just sitting with someone who's just lost someone dear to them. They sit with a household or a family or an individual through their suffering. And so what you're really doing when you choose to sit with someone who's suffering is you are living the very message of Christ's birth. You are becoming an incarnation. You're becoming a representation in the flesh of Christ our Lord to someone who needs for Him to be right there in a profound way. In Luke 2, the pro, the, there's a story of the prophet Simeon. Now, I love this story, and it's one that we miss a lot at Christmas time or right after Christmas because our preaching and our Bible study just sort of jumps right over it. But, but about eight days after Jesus was born, he's brought to the temple in order to be circumcised, which is the Jewish custom. And Simeon, the old prophet, is sitting outside the temple somewhere. And as they walk by, he just knows because the Spirit has prompted him that the Messiah is being held in the arms of that mother. 
walking with that man, Joseph, the father on earth, and he says, oh, Lord, I see it. And he takes the baby into his arms. What a beautiful scene this is. He takes the baby into his arms, this old, I just picture this man with arthritic hands and old weary bones and gray hairs and eyebrows that have been untrimmed for decades. And I see this man holding this baby and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He saw this baby and he knew that he could die in peace just as God had promised him. And you know what's amazing about old Simeon? I figured it up the other day, and some of you will understand where I came up with this more simply because of that recent trip. But you know something? I figure that Simeon and the King Herod the Great were about the same age. And so I figure that old Simeon had never known anything but Israel under King Herod the Great. And what you need to know about King Herod the Great was that he was basically under the protection and provision of the Roman government, and he was notorious for his cruelty and his expensive building projects, which he paid for by taxing the people in a most punishing way. And that's just hitting it, brushing over the topic slightly to, to let you know that Simeon had never known anything but sorrow and discomfort. He'd never lived with the kind of comfort and peace that we experience. And he was about to die not seeing how it would be fulfilled through the Messiah, but simply with the confidence that God had been faithful to keep God's promises, even though he wouldn't see it fulfilled. And this is where the truth, I think, comes that is a great help to us who grieve at this time of the year because you may not see an end to your grief. You may not see the promise that you cling to more desperately now than ever before in your life. You may not see your loved one in paradise for many decades. You may not see Christ return in glory with your loved ones in tow behind him in this lifetime. You, you may not live to see those things. You may have to wait the rest of your life to be alongside your loved one again. But the promises of God are true. Simeon is declaring that. Even though he won't see what the baby Jesus will grow into and become, he will nonetheless celebrate God's faithfulness. Now let's look at James chapter 5, verses 7 to 10. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 
prophets like Simeon, let's say. Establish your hearts, James says, and this we must do, especially if we're grieving right now, if we're suffering in a particular way because of the acute sense of loss and loneliness that we feel. Remember that Revelation promises that there will be a day when the Lord comes on the clouds. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's right out of your Bible. And that's what you got to cling to, especially at these times when it seems hopeless. I want to share a testimony from a fellow named R.A. Torrey, who was a contemporary of D.L. Moody and who was eventually the founder of the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, but someone from about a hundred and something years ago and he had lost his daughter in an accident and at her funeral on a rainy day they stood there beside that hole in the ground surrounded by loved ones and it was a dark and dismal day and Mrs. Torrey said to her husband I'm so glad that Elizabeth is not in that box yet their grief went home with them that night as they tried to sleep Dr. Torrey got up in the morning and went for a walk, and a wave of grief broke over him anew in the loneliness of her absence, the terrible feeling knowing they would never hear her laughter again, never see her face, never witness her growth. He couldn't take it. And he leaned against the streetlight, and he looked up, and he began to pray. And this is what he experienced. And just then, he said, the fountain, the Holy Spirit, whom I had in my heart, broke forth with such power as I think I had never experienced before, and it was the most joyful moment I had known in my life. It is an unspeakably glorious thing to have within you a fountain of ever springing, ever springing up, springing up, springing up, and ever springing up 365 days in every year, springing up under all circumstances. So to the ones who are suffering today, because this Christmas makes it all hurt that much worse, and the long dark nights and the gloomy days bring your grief to the surface all the more, here's the word of wisdom. Let the grief run its course. Cry. Yell, call out to the Father. For those of us who have been called alongside you, we will have the courage to sit with you while you do so and love you all the more. Because if you're not grieving today, then the word for you is simply to be patient and kind, to do everything you can do to simply be present. Your day's coming, you know. And this is your chance to give the very flesh of Christ in you. 
And for all of us, remember that when we are born again, we begin a process of transformation that includes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, and that same Holy Spirit changes the way we experience things. That same Holy Spirit is the fountain within that can boil up and overflow at the moment when you need it most. So welcome it. Don't be afraid. This is more... This is more complete than you will be in most of your days, that moment when that spirit overflows. And it'll be like that old poem that everybody has somewhere in their office or their house or something about the footsteps in the sand. It'll be that moment when the spirit flows that you realize it's not you, but the Lord who's carrying you through the grief. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Make no mistake about it, grief is a form of oppression. It's a pall like we put over caskets that is over our lives and oppresses us. And we must simply fight and claw our way through it back into the light. With the Holy Spirit's help, you will not fail. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. May it bring comfort to those who need it and for the rest of us, may it encourage us to do the things that matter most. And to keep this season in perspective so that you'll be glorified. And most of all, we will have abundant life as you have sought for us with your own flesh. We thank you and we praise you and we pray in your holy name. Amen.